Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type 3 Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are talking about formal methods for blockchain and cryptocurrency applications. And I was recently enjoying reading through the proceedings of, let's see, let me make sure I get the title of this right, uh, the Third International Workshop on Formal Methods for Blockchains. And so this was a workshop, this version of the workshop was held in 2021, and it looks like it's a regular thing now. Um, got, you know, that's only the third edition in 2021. So it's just kind of getting underway here for the past few years. And so I read a couple of papers from this. There are um, proceedings had a, as a workshop, you know, you might or might not necessarily be familiar that. So sort of in academic computer science research, you know, you might have workshops, which are kind of smaller events, might not, you know, maybe a, a more focused uh, topic of trying to, you know, hit on something really pretty specific, um, and generally, they wouldn't have quite as many papers submitted to them as a conference, a full conference would. So, um, you know, every little workshop's dream is that someday it could grow up to be a symposium. And from being a symposium, it'd become a conference. And, you know, <laughs> there's, there's different kind of uh, sizes of attendance, you know, sort of expected. So a workshop, you'd sort of expect anywhere from 20 to 50, 30, 40, 50 people, maybe. Um, anyhow just a little background on this and um yeah so I, I looked at the proceedings themselves are i think 60 pages or something that comprising a couple of full papers and then several shorter contributions the full papers were um maybe 15 pages or something like that got one of them here if i can see yeah like looks like looks like maybe 15 pages or so was the cutoff um and uh so i want to tell you a little bit about one of the full papers that i looked at and one of the shorter papers. So one of the full papers is called Money Grows on Proof Trees, the Formal FA 1.2 Ledger Standard. And so we, hey, this is, we were talking about um, FA 1.2 for Tezos. This is a standard for smart contracts to uh, implement tokens. It's like a proposed standard. If, if you have a smart contract that's trying to implement some kind of a token, um, in other words, your own little form of money that's just sort of living on top of this blockchain, which which has its own currency. So Tezos has Tez um, as its own currency. You can you can buy Tez on exchanges. I've watched the value of my Tez fall in half in the past month, which is a bit of a bummer. But I didn't buy very much of it, so it wasn't too painful. Um, I'm looking at you, internet computer, which is down like 95 percent or something horrible from when I bought it. Or more it's like worth almost nothing uh anyhow um yeah you know this is <laughs> this is cryptocurrency not investing for sensible adults um so anyhow uh yeah so this fa1.2 standard is supposed to describe there's an english language standard um that was describing uh entry points and expected functionality of particular smart contracts, that is particular programs that are going to um, run, be run by Tezos nodes, uh, in, and can handle, you know, interactions for suitable for a currency. So, you know, transfers, uh, this kind of thing, checking balances, um, and the standard is, you know, trying to cover just kind of a, a somewhat minimalistic. Uh, set of features. So I'm pretty sure that like mint and burn functionalities um, are not part of this. It's really just some basic, pretty basic stuff. Um, transfers, allowances, like are you allowed to spend 
certain money on another person's behalf. Um, I never really knew what that was, but as far as I can tell, this is kind of like if I give a merchant an allowance to spend a certain amount of money on my behalf, I'm basically letting them, I, I, I don't know if this is right, but as far as I can, I'm guessing here basically, that's letting them do things like spend it by sending it to themselves. That would be how you could spend it. But there's this kind of like process. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't just send it directly to them. Anyway, maybe it's got other use cases. I'm sorry, I don't know. Uh, if you know all about this stuff, shoot me an email. I, I could learn from you. That'd be cool. Um, so anyway, this paper, Money Grows on Proof Trees, the formal FA 1.2 ledger standard by Gabay, Gabay um, Jacobson and Sojakova. Sorry, I'm trying to read this in the dark while I drive. Um, is giving a formal definition. It's giving a formal specification in Koch, this theorem prover Koch, which we talked about some longer time ago when we talked about various interactive theorem provers. And so, uh, and the authors, uh, and one can recognize if one is in the working this area immediately, the hand of the first author, um, Jamie Gabay, who is, um, has a, uh, some, some has a somewhat, uh, easily recognizable writing style, somewhat, some, somewhat colorful, thought provoking, certainly, um, and making a case for what he's, he's come up with here. Uh, yeah, so we're basically trying to, they are trying to write down the FA 1.2 standard in a formal, with a formal description, in a formal theorem proving language where they can state, you know, what functions the, uh, an FA 1.2 compliant um, contract should have. And furthermore, could state properties that the, that compliant contract um, should uh, satisfy. And so, you know, the English language specification, of course, tries to say the same stuff, but it's just saying it in English, and it's subject to diff differing interpretations. It's, suffer it's subject to potential errors or inconsistencies, um, things like this. And in fact, the paper, one little nice little side point of the paper is to point out um, an, a case where uh, several people trying to implement co contracts that complied with the standard had taken a different interpretation of a particular corner case where um, a user sends tokens, the contract's tokens, to themselves. And um, so it's kind of interesting, just as like a formal methods researcher, that, you know, you often talk about things like, well, you know, when things are specified in English, you know, even the most careful English, uh, it still might be subject to differing interpretations. Um, and, but, you know, this is, it was a particular example where that really was true. Uh, in addition to describing this, this, um, a cock definition of the, uh, the, uh, you know, um, specification, they, uh, also verified three different smart contracts w were indeed compliant with the standard as formalized in Koch. And of course, you can't prove compliance with an English standard, right? You can only really prove some, I mean, except in sort of informal arguments, but here, if we want to have, a, a, you know, proofs up to the highest standards that are possible, which is what we need when we're trying to secure uh, smart contracts from the just endless array of malicious attacks um, that are out there, we, we need to have the highest standards of proof, and that's to, to carry out the proofs in a theorem prover. And so they proved that based on their um, specification, you know, uh, within Koch of this standard, FA 1.2 standard, 
that three different example contracts were correct. They didn't really go into much detail about these con example contracts or their proofs about them, um, except to give some line counts and you know give a little snippets of we proved this, we proved a little this, like the sort of thing like um, uh, when you check check balance doesn't change the the balances stuff like that. When you just ask what are the balance, what's my balance, it doesn't actually change anybody's balance. Things like that it makes sense. And they're like, okay, to verify this or that little property is 100 lines of caulk for this um, smart contract and 100 lines for this other one. Um, so definitely, you know, 100 lines of caulk is definitely in the realm of feasible. That's not, that's not too bad at all. Um, so, and they, they make up a point, which is sort of interesting from a formal methods perspective, that the way they like to view their, verif their verification is they've created this specification so they said an FA 1.2 smart contract needs to have these functions and they need to satisfy these axioms. So it gave sort of an axiomatic description of what a contract should be. And they point out that from this axiomatic description, first of all, you could verify that things satisfy the axioms, that particular contracts satisfy the axioms. But even cooler, you can verify that um, you can, if you can derive something just from the axioms alone, then you prove a property that is true for all compliant contracts. That is pretty neat. So they can prove, I, they gave an example of this kind of general theorem. Uh, I dare not flip through the pages right now to try to see what it was. Oh, okay, what the heck. Um, if you hear the sounds of crashing, you know it didn't go well. Um, oh, I can't find it, it's too dark. Anyway, they did prove an example theorem from that you know, from the axioms, they're like, okay, an FA 1.2 compliant contract should satisfy this property, this property, this property. And then they pr prove that, well, if it does satisfy those properties, then this other thing will be true. This is great. This is a verification that applies to any compliant contract. Nice, nice. And they sort of emphasize that there's, but they view their specification as kind of like a logical theory. Like they've, they've, they've set up these axioms and now they can deduce things and those deductions would all apply. Um, and they didn't really go hog wild with this, but they could have said more. I think that um, you can, uh, if the axioms entail something, then that means that could be a check on a contract. Like maybe you're trying to decide without maybe carrying out a full verification, but it says, well, given these axioms, this or that fact should be true. And you can assess uh you could try to assess those facts by testing or code inspection or whatever. And, um, you know, if, if something doesn't satisfy one of these derived facts, something derived from the axioms, why then you know that contract can't be compliant? Because if it were compliant, it would satisfy the consequences of these axioms. Anyway, pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah, so that that's one paper I checked out from that um, workshop. That was one of the, the two full papers. And then there's another one a short one that I wanted to mention too, called Using Caulk to Enforce the Checks, Effects, Interactions Pattern in Deep Sea Smart Contracts. And this is by um, Britton, Schoberg, and Reeves. Uh, and um, Schoberg at least is affiliated with Certike, which is doing a verification framework for smart contracts, which is called Deep Sea. And so this short paper is about a setup in Caulk. So DeepC is some framework in Caulk for verifying smart contracts. And in this work, they're talking about trying to enforce a particular sort of design pattern on, uh, for smart contracts, which is they is called checks, effects, and interactions. So in other words, um, the 
you know, contracts should proceed by first doing various checks they might need to do before they allow something to happen, then updating their internal state, and only at the end of this, actually doing some interactions like calling other contracts or sending money or something. And this pattern, uh, they mentioned other work, I think, that's talked about this pattern. Um, yes. Ooh, I did it again. I'm at a red light, so can I see the reference? Uh, it's a short paper, flipping, flipping, flipping. Yeah, um, they cite a paper called Smart Contract Security Patterns in the Ethereum Ecosystem and Solidity that I guess must have been advocating for this pattern to prevent, apparently, in Ethereum particularly. So Tezos has this pattern um, basically by default because, I mean, all smart contracts in Tezos pretty much follow this because interactions come at the end of a Tezos smart contract. But in Ethereum, apparently not, that is not the case. And there have been some very nasty attacks, including the original DAO attack, which drained, which was this huge cataclysm in the Ethereum ecosystem, um, where someone drained a huge amount of Ether out of a, a sort of community-run um, organization contract. And the problem was due to re-entrancy, where some, you sort of invoke a method or some function, whatever it's called, on the smart contract, and that function is then going to make a, basically some kind of recursive call or trigger a, f a further call to the contract. And we can get into, apparently, we, with the sort of re-entrancy, we can get into some nasty situations where some initial call is still pending and some stuff hasn't happened yet uh, before some other call is, in, is made that um, can exploit the sort of intermediate state. So anyhow, this short paper was talking about um, first of all, they gave a sort of a, a simple static analysis that could ensure that a smart contract meets the checks, effects, interactions pattern. Basically, you shouldn't send anything um, before you're going to go off and do pretty much anything else. Uh, and so they, they described the static analysis. They formalized this analysis as an inductive predicate in Cox. So they basically, it's a property that your smart contract could satisfy. Um, ugh, it's too dark to check some of these details. That's why actually usually I'm not trying to read papers while I drive. <laughs> I, my, my grandfather allegedly would read the newspaper while he's driving, but that's really not safe. So um, yeah, uh, I think the setup for this is that this is an inductive type in caulk that f describes this property. Um, and anyway, and then they try to use, they describe some tactics that they've written to try to automatically prove that your code has the property. And since the static analysis is pretty straightforward, um, in, a, you know, in at least many cases, you, it's pretty reasonable to expect that you could just automatically prove this sort of property. And so that's, that's uh, pretty neat. And it's kind of a, a nice example of actually making use of some automation in these tools to help do some of the proof. I mean, these are proof assistants and we expect, we're expecting them to help us do some of these proofs. But for a lot of stuff, um, you know, we end up, mostly humans end up doing a lot, a lot of hard proof work. But for just applying a static analysis to check that some smart contract sort of behaves in a sensible way, it's kind of like the equivalent of sort of like a verified linter you know, just to kind of make sure that your smart contract is set up in this, uh, following this sort of safe pattern, then um, it's kind of nice to see that you could do that with NCOC. Um, okay, so those are two 
uh, papers that I wanted to share with you a little bit. You can I'll put the links in the show notes where you can um, check these out yourself. Uh, they made for pretty pretty not not too intimidating reading, both for blockchain newbies and for um, I think for formal methods newbies as well. Might presu- might have presupposed a bit more cock than uh, formal methods newbie might know, but um, definitely I think you could get something out of it even if you didn't know much about that. So yeah, um, and I'm I'm not quite sure how much more I want to talk about formal methods for blockchain. I'm sure there's loads more to say. Um, so I might be casting around pretty soon for another uh, topic, but maybe I'll see if I can dredge up a little bit more. I mean, it's pretty fun stuff to to, to learn about. So. Um, okay, I hope you are well wherever you are. Um, I celebrate Christmas, so wishing Merry Christmas to those who do, and uh, wishing a Happy New Year to all, and thanks for listening.